doesn't love Aladdin, right? Uh, has anybody seen the new one? The new one that's out now? Anybody seen it? Is it pretty decent? I've been wanting to go see it and hadn't had a chance. At, uh, yeah, give it a thumbs up. So that's a good thing. Uh, love Aladdin. Well, listen, I've, I've come to realize we are not the first people to ever decide to connect a sermon with a movie. We're not the first one to ever decide that you could use a movie maybe to help tell a story of truth. As a matter of fact, even Life Church, Craig Rochelle, from which we got the idea, uh, they're not the first to have ever tried it. As a matter of fact, do you believe it or not, it goes all the way back in time to the Apostle Paul. Now, he didn't necessarily use a movie, but he did use the culture of the day to preach the truth of the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, he's meeting with the, with the elite of Athens, the city of Athens, the center of Greek culture of his day. And in that moment, he took great, great advantage of the culture of the day to preach the gospel. He even used the fact that they had an idol to an unknown God. That's all we're trying to do in our big screen series. So welcome to Big Screen Week 2 as we continue to take a look at some movies that, that maybe spur our thinking a little bit and make us think out of the box a little bit. But more importantly, make us concentrate and focus on the clear truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Aladdin is my kind of movie. Not, not that it's a cartoon, but the fact that it has everything that a good movie should have, right? It has action. Has just a touch of romance. It has mystery. It has drama. It has everything you can want in a movie. And it has some thoughts that make us think a little bit because Aladdin introduces us to the idea of what? A genie. Now, which of us have not thought about a genie? And which of us have not from our childhood thought if we could just find a magic lamp? with a genie, that would solve all of our problems because we could make our three wishes. Now, in case you haven't seen Aladdin, and I know somebody's going to have and in case you don't know what a genie is all about, I got a little film clip for you that might help a little bit. Son of a jackal! Oh, whoever he was, he's long gone with that lamp. <laughs> Why, you hairy little thief. Looks like such a beat-up, worthless piece of junk. Hey, I, I think there's something written here, but it's, it, it's hard to make out. Such a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? What's your name? Uh, uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al, or maybe just Din? Or how about Laddie? Sounds like here, boy. Come on, Laddie. <laughs> I must have hit my head harder than I thought. Do you smoke? Mind if I do? <laughs> Oh, sorry, Cheat. I hope I didn't sing the fur. Yo, Rockman, haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. Yo, yo. Say, you're a lot smaller than my last master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. 
Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? Wait, wait a minute. I'm your master? That's right. He can be taught. What would you wish of me? The ever impressive. The long contained. But never duplicate. 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 Genie of the lamp. Right here, direct from the lamp. Right here for your very much wish fulfillment. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wish fulfillment? Three wishes to be exact. An ixnay on the wishing for more wishes. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, or refund. <laughs> Now I know I'm dreaming. Master! I don't think you quite realize what you've got here. So why don't you just ruminate whilst I illuminate the possibilities? Well, Alibaba had them 40 thieves. Sherry's out, he had a thousand tails. But master, you in luck, cause up your sleeves, you got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. It's heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch, pizzazz! Job, you and house, all you gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Lamser, what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> Life is your restaurant, and I'm your melody. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never had a friend like me. Yes, sir. We pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shah. Say what you wish. It's yours. True dish about a little more baklavah. As some are calling me, try all of calling B. I'm in the mood to help you, dude. You ain't never had a friend like me. Oh my! No, no! Can your friends do this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this out their little hat? Can your friends go? Oh, look at here! Can your friends go abracadabra, let it rip, and then make the sucker disappear? Don't you sit there like your buggy hat? I'm here to answer all your business plans. You got me bona fide, certified. You got a genie for a child to fail. I got a power to help you out. So what you wish? I really wanna know. You got a list that's three miles long, no doubt. Well, all you gotta do is rub like so. Mr. Lancer, have a wish or two or three. I'm on the job. You big nabob. You ain't never had a friend. Never had a friend. You ain't never had a friend. Never had a friend. You ain't never had a friend. Well, whatever you think of Robin Williams, comic genius, right? I mean, and we can't help but laugh. And, and yet, there's a thought here. There's a pattern here. Because Aladdin finds the lamp. And then, accidentally finds this genie. And this genie comes out and says, what? You've never had a friend like me. I got three wishes for you. Whatever you wish, I've got the power to give it to you. And of course, you know the story, and if you know the story, if you don't know the story, spoiler alert, in the end, the genie is not actually able to do for Aladdin what Aladdin thought he could do, and actually, Aladdin actually frees the genie. Isn't it interesting 
And you say, what does that have to do with anything, Pastor Eddie? It has, it has to do with life so much. Because I'm afraid we spend much of our lives working through life hoping to find some kind of a genie. Hoping to find some kind of a genie that can give us what we need, give us what we think we want, give us what we think will make us happy, give us the things that we think we need in order to be satisfied. We go through life looking for genies, really. And even though we've got sense enough to not expect one to come out of a lamp, we do think it can come out of a bank account, or it can come out of a relationship, or it can come out of a situation that we may find ourselves in, an education or a career or whatever it may be. The truth of the matter is we look for this satisfaction, these things that we need from a genie. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a statement that may really shock you. Sometimes we even look for spiritual genies. Sometimes we even think of God as a genie. We think of God as the Santa Claus in the sky that gives us everything we want, that is the answer to all of my happiness and fulfillment, that is the answer to all of my dreams coming true. And then when our world crashes, we begin to question, what happened to my genie? So here's the big idea I want to draw from the movie or use from the movie to draw to real life. It's not a movie thing. It's really a real life thing. I want to say this today. Genies don't fix your problems, so stop treating Jesus like a genie. Now, I know you're probably thinking, I don't treat Jesus like a genie. I would never call him a genie. And yet, I want to say to you that too many times we do rub the lamp, we call prayer, and we think that Jesus the genie is going to respond and immediately give us what we need and everything's going to be great. And then we come crashing down when it doesn't happen the way we thought it might or should happen. Now, the good news is we're not the first ones to have done that. We're not the only ones who have done that. Actually, all the way back to the time of Jesus, there was a group of followers, a group of people who followed him, who really treated him or saw him much like a genie. And, and I think we can learn from them. And that's why I, I'm sure God has preserved it in the pages of Scripture so that we can learn from these early followers about how to treat, how to look at Jesus. And Jesus said some very, very tough words to these people. And the truth of the matter is challenged their belief and challenged whether or not they were really to, ready to accept him for who he really was, who he really is, and not just what they had conjured up in their minds. So I'm going to take you back in the Gospel of John. If you want to follow in your Bible, you can follow along. Or if you have it on your phone or your tablet or wherever it can be, uh, you can follow along. Turn to John 6. And uh, it'll be on the board. But while you're turning, let me catch you up, okay? This is so important to understand the context of what we're looking at. To understand what's happening, we have to go all the way back to John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's with many of his close followers in the city of Jerusalem, and he comes to a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda. Now, this pool was, it was, it was important because it had porches in the pool. It had layers in the pool. And, and by the way, you can still go there today. I've been there many, many times. And uh, it was a place where people would come, and they would lay people who were lame, sick, had problems. And, and, and the, the, the legend was... the. The myth was that when the waters were troubled, when they stirred up a little bit, the myth was that an angel, in reality it was probably springs. 
But the myth was that when the waters were stirred, an angel had touched the water, and the first one into the pool would be healed. And so you can imagine people sitting beside the pool, waiting by the pool, waiting for the troubled waters and waiting for that bubbling, whatever it was, and then they would jump into the pool, maybe sounding like they were looking for a genie to touch them, you know, and heal them, and sometimes it didn't happen. Well, on one particular day, Jesus is there, and there's a man who's been lame for 38 years, has never walked in 38 years years. He has his little pallet by the pool and he's waiting. Jesus comes by one day and he said to the man, he said, um, do you want to be healed? Well, that's kind of a silly question. I'm here, right? But that was the question he asked. Do you want to be healed? And the man said, Master, I would love to, but I don't have anybody to help me into the pool. And I'm lame on my feet, so there's no way I'm ever going to be the first one into the pool. You remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, just get up, take up your bed and go home. And so the man, miraculously, without any touch from the water, got up, rolled up his mat, and headed home. Now, it'd be, if that were the end of the story, it'd be pretty cool. But here's, here's, the, here's the rest of the story. As he's headed home and Jesus leaves in the crowd, as he's headed home, he gets stopped by the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And you know what they say to him? They say, what are you doing you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. And there's a breaking of the Sabbath law. <laughs> what are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And I love his response. You should go and read it yourself. But here's what he said, if I could just paraphrase. He said, all I know is the dude that healed me told me to pick it up, so I picked it up. <laughs> I've been here 38 years. He got my feet and legs working. I think I'm going to listen to him, right? And so he picked up his bed and he started home. And then they said, well, who is this guy? And he said, I don't know. And he began to look in the crowd and he couldn't find him. And so later we find that Jesus had left Jerusalem. And he goes to the north country that he loves called the Galilee. And he's there by the Sea of Galilee in a tranquil place that obviously he loved and spent a lot of his ministry time there. And the crowds began to look for him. And finally they found him. And in chapter 6, when they found him, the crowds had built. And he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds continued to build until there were 5,000 plus. And these 5,000 plus people were gathered there in this, in, in this extremely rural area. Nothing around. And, and the disciples, his followers, said to him, Lord, we need to send these people home. They're hungry. And Jesus said, we'll feed them. How are you going to feed them? How are we going to feed them? There's no McDonald's around the corner. And even if there were, we don't have money to feed them. And Jesus said, see what you've got. And you remember the story, don't you? A little boy had been there, and he had some fish and loaves, and he brought it up. It was, his, it was his lunch pail for the day, really. And he said, this is all i got, but if you can use it. Is there not a message right there? I wish I could just hit pause and talk about that for a moment. It, it's amazing what God can do with what little we have. If we'll just present it to him, he'll use it for his glory. So the little boy taught that. And, and so miraculously, the followers are still like, I don't know how you're going to do anything with this. Just a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. And I don't know what you're going to do with this. And Jesus said, watch. And he blessed the bread and the fish and it multiplied. You remember the story? And fed 5,000 plus people. You talk about a shocker. 
Everybody got their bellies full. Everybody got that hunger pain erased. And they experienced a miracle, a miraculous sign. And that launched Jesus into what's called a bread of life sermon. And I, that's where I want to pick up, okay? Is he's done that. Well, I, I should say, after that, he, he, during the night, he left by himself. He sent his apostles over, his followers over on a boat. And he did one other little thing pretty insignificant. He just walked on the water, right? And they thought, You're, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. I wonder if they didn't act like Abu in the clip just then. Like, what? He's walking on the water. And the crowds are looking for him. So that sets it up. Let me pick up reading now with verse number 24. Listen to what it says. John records these words. He said, when the crowd saw that neither, neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boat and went to Capernaum. That's on the northwest corner or northwest side of the sea. Looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, the, these, these followers are looking for Jesus. They, they just experienced this feeding of 5,000. They've heard about this walking on the water, and they're looking for him. They, they go to Capernaum. They, they finally find him, and they said, how did you get here? How did we miss you? Now, there's three questions in this narrative. Three questions that I want you to see. And, and actually, there's three questions that the men ask, and there's going to be one question that Jesus asks. And that's kind of what I want to unpack this morning. And I'll show you how I think it relates to the genie idea. The first question they ask him, when did you get here? How did you appear? Did you like just miraculously appear? I mean, we didn't see your boat coming over. You know, we could have seen the boat. The Sea of Galilee is a very small place. It's really more like a lake. Sometimes we get the idea that it's this big, huge body of water. You can swim. I could swim across the Sea of Galilee. It's not that big a task. We didn't see your boat. How could you have got there? You didn't have time to walk? How, how did you get here? When did you get here? Look at his answer. I love his answer. Jesus often does this, by the way. He often asks a quest, answers a question with a question, or else he answers the question by saying something totally different than what the question was. Look at his answer. He says, verse 26, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, I know why you're looking for me. Don't give me your spiritual look. Don't put your church face on and come to me and say, Oh, Lord, we just were looking for you. You said you're hungry again. I know why you're here. Verse 27, he says, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So Jesus looks at the men and says, I know why you're here. You're here because you're hungry. <clears throat> if I could just take our, our thought a little further, let me say this. You're here because you think I'm a genie. And I'm going to wiggle my nose. And you're going to have food again. You saw something big happen. You're not after me. You're after food for your belly. Well, stay with me because there's two other questions. Look at the next question, the next verse. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. In other words, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Do we, do we have to rub a lamp? 
What, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to be good? Do you want us to follow the law? Do you want us to keep the Sabbath? Tell us what we need to do. Is there something we need to do to get this bread again? We're hungry again. What do we need to do? Now, let me just stop here because this is so us. And in case you're not seeing it, let me just show what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a group of people who are following Jesus or coming after looking for Jesus because they're hungry for their belly to be full. They're not really looking for Jesus. They're looking for something that they think will satisfy their flesh. And when they finally find him, they say, all right, what do you want us to do? Isn't that so us? When we come to church, when we come to the Lord, when we come to God, how many times do we just say, all right, God, what do you want us to do? I know I got to do something. What do you want us to do? You want us to come to church every Sunday? All right, check. What do you want us to do? Put some of the money in the chest? Okay, check. What do you want me to do? Like be good and live a good life? Check. What do you want us to do? So much of our Christianity today and Western Christianity is all about what you can do. But I got good news for you. The gospel of salvation is not about what you can do, but what he's already done. Now, let me show what I mean. Look what he says and how he responded to the question. They said, what can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. <laughs> you, you just have to believe. And they're like, there's got to be more. What do you mean believe? Sure we believe. What do you mean believe? Is that all you have to do? We've got to do something. And how many times have you been in a building, whether it's a church or whether it's a classroom or whatever it might be, how many times have you been there and somebody's been teaching the Word of God and said to you, it's, you just believe. It's not what you do, it's what He has done. And you see, the struggle in life is over what we can do to earn God's favor. And I'm just telling you the truth today. You will never, ever be able to do good enough or well enough to earn God's favor. You're fighting a losing battle. You'll never win. But the good news is, Jesus came to put you and I into a position where we can have God's favor. Because of his grace, because of his sacrifice on the cross, now when God looks at you and me, what he sees is the precious work of Jesus Christ. And all he says is believe. Now that's not just believe facts. It's about trusting, right? It's about trusting that, that this is what I'm putting my faith in. This is what I'm putting my trust in. That God is going to accept me because of the goodness of Christ and not my own goodness. But wait, there's another question. I can't believe this question, frankly. Look at verse 30. Here's what they ask him. What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? <laughs> what? What? Okay, you're asking us to believe that you're God. That's a pretty big thing to believe. Show us some sign. Hello? A few fish, a couple loaves of bread, 5,000 plus. Hello? Which of you can walk on water? 
And some of you are saying, Pastor Eddie, if I could just believe, if, if God could just speak to me, if you know, if God would just come through and say my name and talk to me, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. First of all, you'd be scared to death and die. <laughs> but beyond that, you wouldn't. Somebody would explain it away. Your own conscience would explain it away. There was a man who died. Jesus told about a man who died. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story? Lazarus was his servant, and both men died, and Lazarus went to paradise to be with God, and the rich man went to hell. And if you remember the story, the rich man looked up at Lazarus and looked up at Abraham, looked up at Jesus and said, if you would just, would you do me one favor? If I can't come to where you are, would you at least send Lazarus to tell my brothers so they won't come to this place? And you know what he said? He said they won't believe. They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God, and if they're going to believe, that's their hope. So these guys are like, well, if you'll show us a sign, we'll believe. Dumbest thing we've ever heard of, right? Look, but hold on. I'm, I'm afraid that really describes us. Well, God, if you'll just give me a sign, if you'll just give me a sign from heaven so that I'll know, speak to me or, or God, show me something or do something, make the pastor turn upside down, I don't know, whatever. Just make me believe. Do something. Look what Jesus said. He said, verse 32, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from the heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about manna. I don't have time to talk about all that. You can look at it later. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Lord, give us this bread that's going to always meet our need. You're, you're talking about this bread that God sent. I'm, we're always hungry. Give us this bread. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a card that gives you free food every day? Huh, who wouldn't, right? Verse 34, then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Whoa. Jesus says, here's what he's saying. You're looking for bread that fills your belly and satisfies you for about six or eight hours, maybe. What you need to be looking for is the eternal Son of God that brings satisfaction to your life for eternity and gives you right standing with God. You're looking for a genie that'll give you bread to fill your belly. I'm not a genie, so don't treat me as a genie, he's saying. But I am God. Now, that caused a stir. You can imagine, right? I mean, what if I were to stand up here today and say to you guys, Okay, guess what? I know you came looking for something today at church, but I am God. <laughs> well, you're going to laugh that one off. And guess what? They wanted to laugh it off too. They weren't sure they were ready to accept that. And then he goes into this long discourse where he really challenges their faith. And what he says to them is, you have to come to understand that God 
has sent me, and I am this bread. God has sent me. He sent manna to the, in the wilderness to our forefathers to feed their bellies, but he gave me to feed eternal life to your soul. I am the bread of life. And then he began to talk about the crucifixion, and he began to talk about how they would eat his flesh and drink his blood, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And, and, and he's relating to them the fact and the necessity of what we would later call the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't have time to develop that. But listen, go to our website, go to our more page, and Chip does an excellent job in talking about that and teaching through that, and you can follow that along. But in essence, here's what I want you to see. Jesus challenged them to say, are you looking for a genie or are you looking for a savior? Are you looking for somebody who can fill your belly? Or are you looking for a Savior who can give you eternal life? If you're looking for a genie, it's not me. If you're looking for a Savior, I'm the one. So what happened? Look all the way down at verse number 66. Look what happened. This is amazing. It says, from that moment, this teaching, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. The crowd left. And large crowds would no more follow him. The crowds would shrink more and more until finally when he got to the cross, there was only his closest and his mother and a few ladies they all left him. Point is, they had to decide. If you're, are you looking for a genie to fill your belly? Or are you looking for a savior to fill your life? What are you looking for? They left. Now it's time for Jesus to ask the question. Look at the next verse. So Jesus said to the twelve, this is his closest followers. These are the men who've been following him and working with him and walking with him. He turned to them and he said this. Watch this. Do you want to go away too? Are you going to leave me? Simon Peter. Look at his answer. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That is so important, guys. Because when he looked at the followers and said, you got to make a choice, the biggest part of the crowd left him. And to his closest followers, he said, are you going to leave too? And they said, we have no place to go. Our faith is holy in you. We completely surrender to you. It's not the, watch this, it's not the bread we're looking for. It's you that we're looking for. This is so important. I bring it down to this because here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to take away from this day today, if nothing else. Jesus is either a genie for us or a savior to us. If you're looking for a genie today to help you through life, you're going to be disappointed. Because there's going to be times, even if you become a follower of Christ, when life is not going to go the way you think it ought to go. And roses are not always going to be there. There's going to be some thorns. And there's going to be days when you have the same problem that unbelievers have. There's going to be days when you get sick 
There's going to be time when, times when cancer invades your family. There's going to be times when the bills come in more than the income. There's going to be times like everybody else that life is not going to be particularly easy. And you're going to be saying, what happened to my genie? I mean, Jesus. You've got to make a decision. Genie or Jesus. But I can tell you this. Nothing will satisfy your soul like Jesus. There's times he blesses us with other things. There's times he blesses us with health. And there's times he blesses with wealth. There's times he blesses with good days. But he knows that if we focus too much on that and if that's all we ever have, we'll never focus on him we're going to sing a song in just a minute that is one of the most powerful songs in fact i've told jordan a long time ago i said man if we ever when we sing this song you got to be careful this is a tough song to sing because it's actually a prayer i jotted down the words of the song because i just thought they hit home you're going to sing it in just a minute so i want to just give you what it's saying before you sing it here's the prayer to jesus he says, you came to the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. Here's the verse I really wanted to read. You are my life and my treasure. I don't need a lamp. No, these are my words. I don't need a lamp. I don't need a genie who's going to give me three wishes and then be gone. I don't need a genie who promises to be my friend only because he hopes to get something out of it, right? His release. Anybody got friends like that? Yeah, you never had a friend like me. But what I really want is something for me. Then back to the song. You're my life and my treasure, the one I can't live without. Here it is. Here at your feet, my desires and dreams, I lay down. That is some heavy stuff. Here at your feet, my desires and my dreams, I lay down. If more of you means less of me, take everything. It's all of you is all I need everything do you see the difference between a genie and a savior I don't have a genie to promise you this morning I'm sorry we could fill the building if I did I don't have a genie to offer you but I do have a savior to offer you and if you'll bow at his feet and lay your life at his feet he'll change your life drastically and satisfy the need of your soul pray with me would you <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great grace, your tender mercy. I thank you that you are our Savior, so much more than a genie. And God, we come to you this morning because of who you are, not what we can get from you. 
all of our dreams and desires we lay at your feet giving our lives to you in exchange for eternal life so God speak to our hearts this morning I pray